In today's episode, we're talking about five tips sellers would want to give buyers if they spoke directly to them. Let's do this. With over 50 years of real estate experience, the team at Powell Fine Homes have dedicated our careers to taking care of our clients, ensuring that they get the best possible results and service when they engage us to represent them. From first-time home buyers to multi-million dollar home sellers, from regular sales to short sales and foreclosures, we've seen it all and educated our clients along the way. As broker owners, we have serious visibility into the Los Angeles and Ventura County real estate markets and are about to share some of what we're seeing with you right now. Get ready for the Powell Fine Homes Real Estate Show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Powell Fine Homes Real Estate Show. My name is Richard Powell. I'm a licensed California broker and the host of your show, as well as being a member of the Powell Fine Homes Group at Keller Williams Westlake Village, also known as Keller Williams Realty World Class. So, five tips sellers would want to give to buyers if they spoke directly with them. This comes from many years of doing this, and, you know, it's interesting. You know, with every real estate deal, you've got a minimum of four personalities, usually six personalities involved. You've got, you know, two people on the sell side, two people on the buy side, and then the agents involved as well. And, you know, there's some certain things that have come out over the years that sellers consistently say, gosh, I wish that buyer wouldn't do X. So let's talk about those five things, at least the five that we hear most often, and go from there. So number one, don't write ridiculously low offers. Now, there's context in this. It doesn't mean don't try to get a deal. All buyers try to get a deal. We get that. However, if the house has, is listed at $800,000 and if the house comps out at $800,000 based on the, you know, the remodeling that's been done, the condition of the house, everything else, don't go and write a $600,000 offer because you're not going to save $100,000 just because you came in so low. There are investors who just send out offers all day long on homes they've never seen, and they're just saying, okay, Zillow says it's worth this, this minus 30% is this number, so we're going to offer this number. And they just send a contract over saying, hey, we're making an offer on your house, let us know. So, you know, and those guys get kicked to the curb all day long. They, they probably see one in every 300 offers they send out that, that even gets any kind of traction at all. But if you are a regular buyer buying your principal residence, don't write a ridiculously low offer for a number of reasons. Number one, once the seller is offended, it's really, really hard to get them back to the table. You know, they just, for whatever reason, they're, they're mad at you, they don't like you, and that's the wrong tone to be going into a contract. They don't have to really like you or be in love with you or anything else, but, you know, it's always better for the overall tenor of the contract and to make sure there's no fire drills or make sure the deal doesn't unnecessarily come apart just by not offending either side. So, uh, you know, don't write, write a ridiculously low offer. Another reason you don't want to do that is if you have to resubmit at a higher price, it sets bad precedence for the rest of the negotiation steps. The seller has now learned that he can tell you no and that you'll come back up closer to where he wants you to be. So if you have, you know, say you have some very viable requests it during the request for repairs. You have your inspection done and there's some issues that really need to be addressed. He's already told you no once and you've come back to his side. So he's going to tell you or she or whoever they are going to tell you the same thing again. So it just sets a bad tenor or a bad precedence for the rest of the negotiation steps. And number three, 
If the seller is overpriced, which certainly happens a lot, especially in today's market right now as we shift, if you're making what could be construed as a ridiculously low offer, just make sure you're working with your buyer's agent to make sure that the comps, you're sending over data to support the price you're writing, saying you're asking $800,000 for this house. The last three versions of your model that sold in the last six months only got $600,000. That's why we're writing $600,000. And if you think that there's a viable reason for you to be at $800,000, please send us a counteroffer with a backup documentation, and let's see if we can't get into a, to an escrow on this. We like the house, but you're asking $200,000 more than the last three that sold. Why? So, you know, do that way, but try to keep that avenue open as long as possible. Number two, when you submit your offer, have an approval letter from a real lender and also show that you have the proof of funds to close the deal. This is... There's so many times we see offers come across on our listings where it's just a purchase contract. There's no pre-approval letter or there's no proof of funds or anything else. You, When you write an offer on a house, you should have a completely filled out contract. You should have, uh, your agent should have the associated disclosures. That's not your job. But you should also provide to your agent proof of funds showing that you have enough money to cover the down payment that's being described in the contract as well as a pre-approval from a lender. So the listing agent, you know, for Kirsten and I, and I've said this in many of our podcasts, as soon as we get an offer on one of our listings, the first thing we do is call the lender ourselves to say, hey, okay, we have an offer on one of our properties, and your, your client, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, or whoever, you know, uh, please talk to us about it. We want to know, have you checked their reserves? Do you have a DU approval? What's their debt-to-income ratio? You know, what's their middle FICO score? All these things to make sure that, that you are qualified. And quite honestly, more often than not, we also, in a counteroffer, uh, will say that you have to cross-qualify with our lender. You don't have to use them at all. But we need our lender to tell us, yes, that lender did do his job or her job. The client is fully qualified to purchase a house. And that's the end of it for us. We don't we don't tell you you have to use the lender for anything else. We just need verification because there are so many lenders out there right now that are not doing their job and really truly qualifying somebody. You don't find out until you're actually in escrow that they're not qualified. They can't actually buy the house. And then you go back on market. And once the house comes off market and then goes back on market, the common assumption is that something was found wrong with the house. All the agents always say, oh, the buyer can perform. And sometimes there are bad things found with the house, and that's why it fell out of escrow. However, you have to know that if you provide a good, solid pre-approval letter, and if you have your proof of funds, the buyer, sorry, the seller's agent as well as the seller are much more apt to uh, t take your offer seriously and respond accordingly. So... Now, when you send your proof of funds, it's, there's no problem if you black out the account numbers. There's no problem if you black out your home address. But when you send the proof of funds, it has to show your name, and it has to show the amount, you know, preferably on one page. Usually the first page has all that, shows the total. But you just want to make sure that the, top, the funds can be identified as being yours and that you have more than enough to cover the down payment, total down payment, not just the earnest money payment, not the 3% that you open escrow with. But the entire, if you're putting 25% down, you need to show the 25% in the proof of funds. Okay, point number three, writing a letter. Now, it depends on whether or not you should write a letter. If it is a family, you know, let's say the seller's 
raise their kids, raise their two or three kids in the house. You know, they have owned the house for 30 years. They're downsizing. And you're a young couple who are going to have, you know, kids, whether you're adopting them or having them yourselves, or however, however it works. But you want to, you know, in that situation, we would always advise our clients, hey, write the letter, but we'll tell the story. Kirsten and I always write a letter to the agent and seller in every deal unless it's a professional flipper. They don't care. Don't bother writing a letter on a professional flipper because they, they, they really don't. It's an asset. There's no heartstrings to pull on. However, if it's a family selling a house or somebody, a single person selling a house, whatever it is, and you have a commonality, whether they raise their kids in the house, you're going to raise your kids in the house, they had a ton of dogs, you have a ton of dogs, he's a surfer, you're a surfer, whatever. If there is a commonality where you can build that bridge, the emotional bridge, we always recommend writing that letter because it will give you a leg up that doesn't cost you any more money if there are multiple offers. If you're the only person at the table, doesn't matter as much. It's still a nice gesture. Again, if there's commonality. If there's not commonality and you know there's just no, no bridges to cross there, don't worry about it. Kirsten and I still write a letter to the agent and the seller just telling them about the story of our buyers just so they have a, a better context. Uh, really not much more to say about that. And you know, if we're not representing you, ask your agent before you go into the deal, should we write a letter? Hopefully they've already talked to the other agent, found out the situation of the sellers, and we'll be able to advise you appropriately. So number four, and this one, you know, I, I'm always surprised by this one, but it comes up fairly often now. You know, please don't bring your pets to the showings. And, you know, 10 years ago, we never saw that. We, but today with just the explosion of animals going everywhere, I mean, it's, it's hard here, at least here in Southern California, it's hard to go somewhere where you don't come across somebody that has a dog with them. Sometimes it's a huge dog. Sometimes it's a tiny dog. You know, it, it, the how, whys, and whats don't really matter. But, you know, it's just not a good idea for buyers to bring their pets, unless it's a true service animal that's necessary, on a showing. Uh, here's some of the reasons why. We've seen, we've had showings on our listings where somebody came in with a dog, dog peed on the carpet. The, pe the sellers didn't have any pets. So now you've got a urine problem in a house that never had it this particular house never had a dog in it or any animal ever they just they were both highly allergic to animals so you know they never had any so now we have to you know and there's no question that when they came home they knew that there had been a dog in the house because they both started sneezing and they could both smell the urine so you know un, the acts unexplained accidents create real issues that have to be addressed and the second point, which I covered a little bit just now, some sellers are highly allergic to animals, whether it be dogs, cats, whatever. Uh, you know, Kirsten, for example, is very allergic to cats. We can walk into an empty house, and if there was a cat living there, her eyes will start watering, and there's no, just no question that there used to be a cat there. We had a home inspection the other day on, on a property that uh, we have listed that, you know, we've never had any pets in there as long as we've managed it, and the original owner didn't have any pets in it. But... You know, they, they walked in and her eyes, you know, she thought that, that perhaps there had been a cat in there because, you know, she was having some kind of response to it. But, you know, there's never been a, you know, as far as the tenants that lived in the house or the, the owner that lived in it before that, none of them had had any pets. So, you know, either it's it was there a long time ago or somebody had a showing that brought a cat in and took it out with them. We usually don't see cats on showings with buyers. Usually it's almost always a dog. One time saw a rabbit. I don't know if anybody's allergic to rabbits or not, but this person had a rabbit. Go figure. So, you know, 
That's point number two. And the third reason you don't want to bring a pet is that the sellers might actually have pets of their own in the house that we don't know about when you're actually seeing it. You know, usually if there's a dog, it'll either be in the garage or it'll be off property during the showing, which is always the best option that you can have. But sometimes people have cats that are under beds, they're hiding, and if you come in and you've got a dog and you don't see any animals, and, there's, and they, sometimes the sellers don't, or the agents don't disclose in the MLS remarks for the other agents that there's dogs or cats in the house. You know, usually there should be a sign saying, don't let the cat out, don't let the dog out, whatever. But sometimes they don't say that, and you're in their house, and there's a small, you brought your animal, there's another animal in the house, and they get into a fight. Or the other animal attacks your animal, or attacks you, or who knows. But it just, again, you're bringing animals into an unknown situation, and there's plenty of possibility for downsides. So if you don't bring the, your animal with you, you don't have any problems, but it's one of the things sellers talk about. It's like, why did they bring a, an animal into my house? So take that for what it's worth. And then number five. Five is actually a two-parter. You know, don't smoke, vape, or wear heavy, heavy cologne going through a house. The heavy, heavy cologne thing, you know, some people just like a lot of perfume or cologne. It's just, it lingers. You know, after you've seen the house, the next buyer comes and smells all that, and they may have a bad reaction to it. It is what it is. But smoking and vaping, you would think that's just common sense that people wouldn't do it. But while vaping may not have the residual, the instant residual that, that cigarette smoke would, it still leaves an odor that, that gets absorbed by the carpet, by the drapes, by the furniture, and it does create a real issue. And we are starting to see people, especially the younger people coming through, that are vaping in houses that aren't theirs. So, you know, don't vape, don't smoke, and don't be drenched in the with uh, cologne or perfume as you come through. And then the second thing is, don't be too big of a snoop when you come through. And this this usually is not an issue, but you know, you're not buying their furniture. There's absolutely no reason to be looking in their dresser drawers or their nightstand drawers. I mean, kitchen drawers are fine. You want to see if there's room for your, you know, because they're built in. You want to see if there's room for your cutlery, for your pots and pans, that kind of stuff. That's normal. Looking in the pantry, looking in the closets, the things that are staying, that's normal. But when you start going through nightstands or dressers, you know, that's, there's just no reason for that. It's way too personal. And if the, if the sellers are recording your visit, which... I talk about in another podcast, but it's very, very common these days now with technology being what it is, that there are Nest cameras, there's Ring doorbells, there's Arlo cameras everywhere, and a lot of the sellers hide them in the house. So as you're walking around, they're recording you both on video and audio, and if they see you going in their nightstand or in their dressers, they're going to get rightfully angry. They're going to call their agent, light them up, and the agent's going to call your agent and yell at him, and it's just... It's or her. It's just it's one of the things you don't need to do. You're not buying the furniture. So there's, there's absolutely no reason to go in it. So if it's a drawer, unless it's in the kitchen or the bathroom, stay out of it. There's no reason to. So there you have five things sellers would tell buyers if they could. Don't write ridiculously low offers. Have an approval letter from your real lender and the proof of funds to cover the total down payment. Write a letter to the seller if it makes sense. And we've talked about that. Please don't bring your pets through on showings. And don't smoke vape or wear heavy cologne in the house. And also don't snoop through all their drawers if you're not. Well, just don't do it. <laughs> it, it it's always funny to Kirsten and I when it comes up. Because as a rule, we've never had our buyer, any of our buyers that were like that. But it, uh, we had a listing not too long ago. And we've talked to other listing agents uh, where the video thing was up. And we actually posted a warning, not a warning, but a, a disclosure on the staircase saying, look, there are audio and video recording devices in this house. 
fair warning. So once you do that, then you can record. But, you know, they caught this guy going through drawers that he shouldn't have been going through in, in their house. And, it, it, you know, it, it's just, it was unnecessary. And, you know, looking in their closet, normal. Looking in the kitchen drawers, normal. Looking in the bathroom drawers, under the cabinets, any kind of built-in stuff, normal. Going through nightstands, going through dressers, not normal. Those are the rules, all right? There you have it. So, five things sellers would tell buyers. We're going to have another one follow-up to this. We're going to have what buyers want to tell sellers, as well as some other fun things, too. Please let us know what you would like to hear us cover. We're actually going with shorter formats now, just to, to get them in and out, because, you know, nobody who has an hour anymore to sit down and listen to something? So now we've taken it down most of our... Uh, podcasts are going to be between 16 and 30 minutes long. And we're even going to experiment with some five and six minute ones if we can make them worthwhile. I, I don't know how much data in real estate you can put in there and still get all the compliance things taken care of. So we'll have to cross that bridge as we get to it. But we're trying to keep them shorter. So if there's something you want to hear about, please let us know. Our emails are at the end of this. The website, we're on Facebook, Instagram. The number that comes up is a cell phone number. You can text us there. But we'd really love to hear what you would like to hear us talk about, and we'll get that in the next podcast. You take care. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard or you want more info, please give us a call at 805-404-1167. Again, that's 805-404-1167. Or send an email to sold at powellfinehomes.com. If you're ready to move on with your life in Los Angeles or Ventura counties, call us even quicker. The team at Powell Fine Homes are your real estate experts and who you hire matters. You can find us on the web, on Facebook, and on Instagram every day. And you'll love the results that our proven systems and model deliver for you. Call, email, or DM us today and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening.